is Nico the fix for Josh Heupel. Prior to 2023, Josh Heupel's five straight seasons of top eight offenses. Is Nico that answer to get Tennessee back where it needs to be to get Josh Heupel's offense back where it needs to be? It probably is. We'll get into that and more here on a Friday Locked on Balls. You are Locked on Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Balls. I'm your your host, Eric Kane. It is your team every single day because we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Got Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider on with me today as my vacation continues. We're going to talk Nico, going to talk basketball, we're going to talk baseball. We're going to hit a little bit of everything the big three here for Tennessee sports because Ron, as we were mentioning, man, crossover season's about to be yeah. here. Yes, it is. And it's uh it's a good time to be getting vacation. I was actually thinking about that when you <laughs> you reached out because it's gonna be uh four months full speed of Tennessee baseball and a little bit slower in the summer, but you know, obviously by that time it's uh it's full blown Tennessee football time and won't be too long till fall camp gets going. It was funny, uh, you know, I my family and, and, you know, friends and, and same for you. I mean, they kind of know your schedule and everything, but there's really only like two pockets out of the year for me, for you, it's not even that much. So when football is over, I have a little pockets, you know, during bowl season, you're doing some things. Um, yeah. And then in January where I'm not doing much, I'm just kind of chilling, writing stories. I mean, you're covering basketball. And then as you mentioned, once baseball starts mid February, if your team's good, I mean, you're, you're locked up every weekend through, I mean, like last year, the end of June, right. And then you get like a month and then it's, and then it's fall camp. So like, there's not a whole lot of downtime. And plus even that month after the baseball season, it's still transfer portal season. So you're still yeah. working like crazy. So um, it's wild. But uh, again, I, I know you wouldn't, and I, I definitely wouldn't have it any other way. No doubt. It's, it's funny thinking about, cause that was really, you know, Tony Vitello's second year was the first year I had covered it, which was the first year yeah. they got back in the NCAA tournament, but it's, you know, crazy to think about how early it ended before because, you know, so many of those Vitello, pre-Vitello teams didn't even make the SEC tournament. So they're done mm-hmm. in, in mid-May, basically. And, you know, at that point, you feel like you're just getting ready for the real thing, especially years like last year when Tennessee was heading on the road for the tournament. Yeah, the the world was coming to an end when Tennessee was one and done in Hoover and uh, in baseball. Again, we'll talk baseball in segment number three, but that's not always the worst case, right? When, no, one and done not. in the SEC tournament. All right, let's talk football here to leave things off. Uh, it was one game, right? And, you know, we're, you know, we say we're not going to overhype it and all that, but as fans, as as sports fans in the media, you know, covering this team, uh, it's fun to watch. Um, he, he was fun to watch. Um, I don't think we can say that he is the chosen one like Hendon Hooker put out there after one game, but uh, your thoughts on Nico, kind of a lot to like there against Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. Well, I'll start with, you know, what's the not sexy part. And that's, you know, what I kind of said going into the game is, obviously everybody wants to see the exciting from him and in the big plays and some of that making stuff kind of off script happen. But for just for that game, it was like with Iowa's offense, you just want a guy that's the quarterback to not make a bunch of mistakes, yep. not do dumb things, manage the game well. And obviously that's not what anybody wants to see from Nico, but that's that was the most important thing to Tennessee winning the Citrus Bowl. And that's what he did. And uh, obviously Tennessee's defense more than held up there into their bargain. And, you know, some of that stuff was made easier, and, you know, we saw Josh Heupel coach some stuff kind of conservative early in the second half, you know, not forcing things going for it. But, you know, Nico didn't put the ball in harm's way at all. And a few mistakes, taking the sack in the two-minute drills to one that really kind of stands out uh, that you see a freshman mistake. But from just a managing the game standpoint, I thought he did a really good job. And that's 
still think it's going to be important, especially for him as a young quarterback. You know, you always knew he would grow into that. But how much of that comes naturally to him, I thought, was was a question. And again, you win by 28 points or I guess 35 points. That makes it easier to manage the game. And then what we had seen from him and the limited amount that we'd seen earlier in the season that he'd played, you know, what he'd thrown the ball like 27 times, played briefly in four games. But I think the thing, at least to me, that stood out the most is just his escapability and his ability to make things happen off script and when plays break down. And, you know, that was readily apparent too and really impressive. So to see him do that for a full game was encouraging and to see him uh, do it against a, you know, by far much better defense than he had played at any point in the regular season was encouraging. And then I think maybe the thing that surprised me the most was the way they just used him in the design run game and Mm -hmm. the amount of times we saw that. And, you know, I think, I was even certainly good. I think in some ways they maybe made him look faster than he is, but he's super quick twitchy and, and super quick. And in a lot of ways, I think that almost makes him the anti Joe Milton where Joe Milton, he gets out straight line speed, super fast guy, but yeah. not necessarily elusive and slippery. So certainly, like you said, just one game, um, they didn't ask him to do a ton because they won in blowout fashion and their defense played so well, but uh, certainly a lot to like. Yeah. A couple of things you mentioned that I, that I really you know, I'm super excited about seeing Nico being Tennessee's quarterback is that off script escapability stuff. You know, we saw that play in the orange and white game. Ethan Davis was so good yeah. in his brief mop up duty times in four games. He made a couple of plays on the run and um, was able to think and, and, and operate out of the pocket. And, um, and and we saw that a couple of times against Iowa. You know, he wasn't fantastic through the air, but there was one play where in a couple of drops and if Romel Keaton didn't build on a route, maybe those numbers look even better. But there was one play where he sprinted out of the pocket and and hit back shoulder Ramel Keaton down the sideline in the Citrus Bowl. And I'm like, man, that those are the types of plays that we haven't seen in a while. And uh, I'm excited to see kind of what happens there. And I'm with you. I'll be intrigued to see, was it more against Iowa that, I mean, at the end of the day, Tennessee's offense scored 21 points, okay? James Pierce scored a touchdown, then James Pierce gave the football to Tennessee on the four-yard line. So it's not like Tennessee's offense just dominated. They did a lot of what you said. They did enough, didn't make mistakes, ran the football did all that type of stuff, but um, maybe it was just against Iowa to where they had given up only four rushing touchdowns all year, but the commitment to the design runs, I mean, two design runs for touchdowns, uh, really, really impressive, and um, you get that extra blocker in there, and you know Nico's ability to go and make those plays. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if maybe that's something that they carry on into next season, or if it was just against Iowa, or you know maybe they're hesitant not to do that because of your backup quarterback situation or being a true freshman or maybe even gas some more. Well, I think you'll particularly see it and it's intriguing in the red zone because I, yeah. that was the staple of it. Obviously they used Tennant Hooker. It wasn't like they never used him in the design run game out of the red zone, but that's where they really liked it. They loved that yeah. speed option in the red zone. And we saw a little bit of that this year uh, with Joe Milton, but not as much. And, you know, obviously it did happen at Missouri where they fumbled it and I guess they were able to jump on it, but, even the ones that went well, some of those Joe Milton speed options were a little bit of an adventure. So, no, you're right. And the numbers were pedestrian, but at the same time, it was 19 pass attempts. And like you said, yeah. a couple drops in there, they just didn't throw the ball a ton. And uh, even in the second half, you know, it is 21 points, and that's something I harped on. But they played everything very conservative, and you get two drives like that, and you get a pick six. They just weren't on the field a bunch in the second half yeah. either. So uh, it's, it's such a small sample size. You know, one thing I thought you saw a lot more of in the bowl game that you maybe didn't see in the regular season was just those kind of deep 10, 15-yard comeback routes that are such a staple of the Josh Heifel offense. And it wasn't that we never saw them this year, but certainly usage was way down compared to uh, the first two seasons with Hooker. We saw that a ton. That's probably the most successful pass play they had in that game, or at least 
something that he went back to time and time again. And, you know, obviously the seven sacks is something that people talked about. And I mentioned it earlier. I thought he had the real bad one in the two minute drill. But, oh, you know, a lot of those sacks, you know, what I've started calling the Hinton Hooker sack, where you get sacked, but you you read it well and you lose a yard or two, and yeah. it doesn't kill the drive. So many Tennessee sacks in regular season were five, six, seven yard losses, and Tennessee's offense just wasn't really built to overcome that. So uh, I don't think that sack number, you know, certainly wasn't a great game pass protection wise for Tennessee's offensive line, but uh, I don't think that was maybe as negative as of an indictment on the offensive line or on you know Nico for holding the ball too long as you might think by just seeing the number. Sit here, you know, mid-January right now, and the offensive line still trying to work through some things. You get that, and you know, this team is still trying to, you know, hit it winter workouts. We haven't, we're not even to spring practice yet. But what do you like about this team? Um, just you know, way, way, way too early glance. You know, Tennessee in twenty twenty-four. Well, I, I would say it's really to me, it starts at the defensive line. I think they're going to be really good there again. If anything, I think they will be better. Obviously, Tyler Barron is a, is a tough loss. He was a productive player, but you. Look at some of the young guys that the Tennessee has on the roster. I think they'll be able to step up into that role, especially you know as as pure pass rushers. I think Tennessee's third down uh, pass rush package should be even better next year, and I think they'll continue to be solid there. And I think there's a lot of excitement also with the linebacker room of just you had a lot of talent there. I like that room this year in the sense that you had a lot of young guys that were talented, and then all those guys were thrust into much bigger roles uh, to have Keenan Peely back. Um, obviously, you didn't have him at all this year. You lose Aaron Beasley, but to me, that feels somewhat of a you know one for one comparison. We'll see exactly what level Peely plays at, and, and all those guys being a year older. And offensively, I think there's you know a good bit of question marks. But you saw in the bowl game, even without Jalen Wright and Jabari Small, this should be an offense that runs the ball really well again. Uh, and to me, I guess the big question, and it's you know, you, the question can ob- oftentimes be used as a negative or like a knock and a lot of times it is like I got a lot of questions about Tennessee's safety play or safety room next year and I'm not very optimistic about it (laughs) but I have questions about Tennessee's receiver room and I'm not necessarily negative on it it's just can some guys take a jump and and can Tennessee find somewhat of a true number one or just have more solid balanced options and certainly Brew McCoy not being you know being injured last year hurt Tennessee but I don't think he was just the end-all be-all answer and you're glad to have him back but it's not just you know I don't think just Brew McCoy is going to fix all the issues Tennessee had in the receiver room. So how much can those guys uh, improve? How much can Chris Brazell, you know, make an impact right away? All, all those things to me will be really interesting. And, and obviously there's a lot on the offensive line, and they got to figure out something at, at the second offensive tackle spot. And, heck, they, they might have it figured out by the time this is actually airing. Uh, but to me, when you're really looking at how Tennessee makes a jump and what they can do to help Nico, I got more questions and more – high floor or low floor high ceiling at the receiver than I necessarily do along the offensive line yeah if Tennessee has not addressed the second offensive tackle position by the time this airs then that's not good because (laughs) it is at the time of this recording it is ready for publish if you know what I'm saying so (laughs) yeah we'll we'll see what happens all right when we come back we're gonna stay with Ryan Schumbert of Rocky Top Insider uh we're gonna talk about Tennessee basketball you know what what kind of makes this team go and how far can this team go more on that here they come on Lockdown Balls. All right, guys, I want to see about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. The NFL regular season, it's done. Wildcard weekend, it's done. We've got the divisional round of the NFL playoffs starting this weekend. Get excited, right? 
My team's not in it. My team didn't come anywhere close to the division around this year. After winning the division for like five straight years, but we won't talk about that right now. You can have a whole lot of fun over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Put some coin in your pocket uh, by going into FanDuelSportsbook.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. I've got hundreds of uh, different you know bets to play with, total spreads, uh, single in-game parlays, and more. Check out that new Explore tab so you can find a bet that is uh, fun and engaging for you. Plus, with that uh, promo code locked on, new customers 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 money line bet. Win or lose, it's guaranteed. So what do you got to lose? It's America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Put some coin in your pocket today. NFL Divisional Round over there at FanDuel Sportsbook. All right, Ryan Shumpert returns here from Rocky Top Insiders. We uh, take part in a Friday edition of Locked On Balls. Uh, again, pre-recording this out of the country. If anything big's happened, we'll hit on it next week. But um, at the time of this recording, Tennessee coming off, you know, an, an unfortunate loss in Mississippi State. Um, really, really good second half. Great second half effort from Dalton Connect. Sakai Ziegler played well all night long. But, you know, it's not a horrible loss, but it's it's a loss that you aren't anticipating. Uh, we'll see how Tennessee responds in Athens. And, of course, there's another game by the time this airs. But from what you've seen so far of Tennessee basketball, kind of what's your, what's your synopsis on, you know, who this team is not just on good days or bad days kind of kind of where are they well i like this team i, I think they're improved for, over last year's team i just to me i think the sample size is enough to say that they are a definitively much better offensive team which they're not as good defensively but you know that's what that's what everybody was looking for a little bit more balance and not having to win every game by getting in a rock fight and, and kind of grinding it out so i like that with this tennessee team they're, that doesn't mean they're not going to have scoring droughts. doesn't mean they're gonna, not going to have some games where their offense looks bad. Certainly it looked just abysmal in the first half of Mississippi State. And I think the thing that maybe to me the most stands out about this team is they have a lot, you know, consistency is the name of the game in college basketball. And we're recording this at the end of a week that Kansas lost to UCF on the road and Houston lost to Iowa State and Marquette lost to Butler. And you're seeing how hard it is to win on the road. And how hard it is even for your good players to get them consistent on night in night out. And to me, that's kind of the same story with this Tennessee team where I think they probably have six players that I think are real solid players and five of those guys that on any given night can go for 20 points and carry you offensively. But you just don't know that you're going to get that from every single player or, or any of those players on any given night. And that can be frustrating. That makes it, I think, harder to win on the road. That makes it easier to lay duds. But, you know, on the same time, that's the recipe of, having different guys that can pick you up and different guys that can carry you. And to me, that's a way that you can make a deep run in March. The flip side of that is you have a game where only one of those guys is playing well. You can lose early in March. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where I stand on this team. I, you continue to search for, for more consistency and more answers on the, on the road. To me, that'll be the more telling sign. I think, you know, I'd be very surprised if Tennessee loses more than one game at home, um, but on the road, can they be more consistent than they've been in the past? You know, certainly Mississippi State was a good example to get a big win there. Um, but they'll have a, a lot of other games kind of in that same tier. I kind of circle Arkansas and Texas A&M is two, I think, will be somewhat similar uh, to that Mississippi State game. And then Alabama and Kentucky is a two that, you know, I, will be very tough for Tennessee to go on the road and win. You know, uh, along with everything that you just said in, in terms of what needs to happen, not in, not out, consistency and all that, I feel like if Tennessee wants to accomplish its goals and, and go farther than any other Tennessee team has ever gone in the tournament, only one Elite Eight appearance, no Final Fours. Rick Barnes himself, only one Final Four. Um, certainly the potential, obviously, but if, if Tennessee wants to reach those goals, you know, 
Shump, I, I feel like Tennessee's got to start incorporating another big man in there. I mean, look at the other night. Your two bigs fouled out. I mean, it was it was a physical foot, uh, football game. It was physical basketball. <laughs> I do that. I do that all the time, by the way. Um, and, and and you really haven't brought along anybody else to to kind of go in there and steal you four or five minutes if needed. Um, do you see that maybe changing? Do you see potentially if Ganey continues to struggle, and again, two games we've already played by the time this airs, do you see Freddie DeLeon stealing some of those minutes? I mean, in terms of the rotation, do you see any of it kind of changing as we move on towards into conference play? Well, I'll start with the big men, and I think that's a good point and probably the thing that I left out the most in that first part where Tennessee's four losses this year, they've struggled defending guys in the post. And granted, they've played you know Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady are probably two best posts in the country, yep. and Tolu Smith and Armando Baycott are certainly in the top ten, if not better than that. And the rest of the regular season, they'll see one more guy like that. But you worry about that uh, as you look to the tournament and you look to, all right, who, who do they draw? Who do they have to go through? That, that's kind of the one thing that you'd say you don't want to see. And, you know, I, we recorded this a couple hours after I watched Tennessee basketball practice today. And certainly there was a lot of emphasis on J.P. Estrella and Cade Phillips, the two freshman big men, uh, being coached hard, trying to get those guys to come around or come along. And, you know, I don't anticipate any, either of them stepping up into some huge role. But to your point, that, that's all you need. You need five, seven, eight minutes. And, you know, at the bare, the bare minimum, you need to get one of those guys to be able to come in and just get some fouls for you, you know, yeah. because – you have two guys that you trust and you can't have them be fouling out and you can't have them having to play, you know, Tobey Walker the last five minutes of the game, you know, he fouls out with 14 seconds the last five minutes. He's the only guy you have. And he's out there playing with four fouls, trying his hardest to the garden elite guy without fouling. And it's hard to do that. You know, it's, you got to be able to play some physical, with some physicality and, and risk getting called for a foul and not having to kind of back down. So Yes, I think that's coming, at least at the bare minimum of somebody coming in to eat fouls and in those games. You might not see it from a night-in, night-out basis because I think Tennessee wants to play small, and for most teams they play, and certainly in SEC play, I think they can get by doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think long-term, that's that's an issue. You know, Jordan Ganey struggles, and certainly Freddie Dillion is a guy you automatically turn to there. He looked good the other night, and you know what wasn't more than three or four minutes of run in the first half, but the defense is what stood out, and that's been the big question mark for him. And to me, the thing with him more than anything was the guy Ziegler's out there, and he's playing at an elite level right now, and that makes it hard to take him out of the game. But he's been playing 35-plus minutes, and if anybody can do it, it's the guy Ziegler. But you just don't you don't want to have to ask him to do that for even at this point what's going to be, I don't know, 19 games, 18, 19 games before the NCAA tournament starts. That's a hard ask. And – I think where it starts with Fred DeLeon is however many minutes a game that is, you hope they'd be able to steal more. But for four, five, six, seven, to me, he should be the backup point guard. Uh, it's just, especially if Ganey's shot's not falling. Uh, to me, Ganey's not so much of a better defender than DeLeon that it, it just makes him, uh, it overcomes the fact that DeLeon can create more offensively and he can handle the ball better. And I don't think DeLeon plays great off the ball. So him and Zakai on the court together, I don't necessarily think they mesh perfect um but if jordan ganey is going to shoot the ball as poorly as he has as of late at the same time you know maybe dillion can steal some of those minutes because that certainly makes ganey a lot worse playing off the ball uh, when you don't have him as a threat to hit some shots from the perimeter the long basketball season and uh as we've seen in the last couple of years man tennessee was sprinting towards the tournament got out in the second round tennessee was limping to the tournament Goes with Sweet 16. That's that, that's basketball for you. Another long season that's not even started yet, still a couple weeks away, is Tennessee baseball. What does Ron Shumper think 
the Tennessee baseball team can be heading into the 2024 campaign. That and a whole lot more. It's coming up next as we continue here with the Friday Lockdown Balls. All right, boys and girls, game time. You shouldn't have to worry about those tickets. Find those tickets. If you're a procrastinator like me, sometimes you forget about the tickets and you're already planning to go to the event or to the show or to the concert or whatever. Game time has got you. It's got me as well. For procrastinators that forget to do it, they sell tickets on the game time app up until an hour after the event even starts. We're talking stuff at the Bijou Theater downtown, Tennessee Theater, Thompson Bowling Arena, Food City Center, Neyland Stadium for football, Lindsey Nelson for baseball, all that and more. It's not just sports. It's literally any event in your area. You can find those tickets on the Game Time app. It takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. It's really, really simple. Plus, they got the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. They have got your back. Learn more about all three of those things by downloading the Game Time app today. Uh, zone deals as well, where you can pick a section of the Game Time picks. You can pick a section. Game Times will pick the seats for big time savings. All that and more is offered on this app. So I encourage you to download the Game Time app today. Create an account. Use the promo code locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Uh, create that account. Promo code locked on, L O C K O N, for $20 off your first purchase. Download the game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. All right. So, a couple of weeks left, and then it will be baseball time in Tennessee. They're going to start the um, season out in Arlington at the Shriners Invitational, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. I would imagine. Somebody from y'all's crew, maybe Jack, is going to go again. Have you, have you guys made plans to to go out there and cover that event? That is the tentative plan. Yeah, we haven't booked flights and hotels and all that good stuff, but but that's our plan for Jack to Jack to go cover it for us. I, I'm a little broke right now, so neither have I. But I plan on being there. But um, it's going to start, man, and then it is a couple of weekdays, and you know the first couple of weeks of the season they'll play two midweek games, and it's every single yep. weekend, and it's here, man. Um. You know, big questions, obviously. Um, last two years, you've been fortunate to have pitching at nauseum. And I think there's a lot of good options on this team. We just, they're unproven. And we just got to see what they can do. But you've got one of your your big three who's remaining, and that's Drew Beam. You like the promise of A.J. Russell, but he only threw 30 innings in a third last year. But he's going to figure in there to be that second starter. Um, you might not know who that third starter is for the first month of the year, but a lot of options. And then, you know, there's there's oodles of options for the bullpen as far as pitching what, what are your thoughts kind of entering the season on it might not be as dominant per se but I still think it's gonna be pretty good it's a lot of what you just said honestly where I think Tennessee and certainly a good element of Tennessee's baseball fan base is they're new to college baseball where and they were probably pretty they were pretty spoiled the last few years where oh, yeah. you kind of knew who your guys were and that's just you know, that's not the reality of how it is for even most really good top 10 SEC teams. Where Look at LSU. Look at Arkansas last year. I mean, yeah. how many times did we go on the weekend where it was so-and-so TBA, TBA? I mean, that's just – if Tennessee were throwing out a TBA, it was just to troll the other team. I mean, yeah, that, that's kind of the nature of the beast. 100%. And certainly they're not going to have any sort of answers there until SEC play begins. And frankly, you know, right now sitting here, what's the date? January 11th that we're – January 12th that we're recording this. I would probably guess even in the SEC play, you know, that'll be a little bit of a question. And Nate Snead, Wichita State transfer, I think has the high-end talent that makes him, you know, an intriguing option to be a third starter. But, you know, by no means do I think he's any sort of shoe in. And this is almost a year where I could see Tennessee having a lot more openers, you know, on an SEC weekend where you're just trying to get three or four innings from someone. Mm -hmm. And look, Will Heflin in the 2021 season was the most elite version of that, where you felt pretty good that he was going to get you two times through the order and be solid. Um, so it's not like that's completely new to Tennessee. 
the question to me is just more who who truly grabs that and then how does it all work out? Because at the same time, some of these options that you have are, are guys that are going to be more effective. Maybe your best pitcher is more effective in rolls out of the bullpen. So it's almost a puzzle piece. They have a lot of guys that I think are solid and a lot, not maybe not necessarily great, but certainly you have tremendous amount of trust uh, in Frank Anderson to get all that figured out. And, and to me, A.J. Russell is the big, big piece of the puzzle because if he can be the guy that I think – Everybody at Tennessee expects, not necessarily without some, you know, bumps along the road, um, but certainly has really high end talent. It can be a really good weekend guy. If he does that, it becomes a lot more simple of figuring out one day and putting all those pieces together. If he struggles and you got to start kind of finding answers for two days of the weekend besides Drew Beam Day, which everybody assumes will be Friday night, um, then it becomes maybe a little more shaky and maybe you actually start talking about it being a problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, last couple of years, you know, Tennessee last year technically had five starting pitchers. Tennessee technically had five starting pitchers the year before. I mean, I'm counting, uh, you know, Sewell is in that mix. Sewell started, yeah. you know, the SEC tournament clinching start against Florida two years ago. He started the the game against, um, gosh, I've slept since then. Whoever they played in the SEC tournament where they lost. He pitched really well this past year. I mean, he started games. Uh, AJ uh, uh, Russell is a guy that we're talking about now, but uh, Andrew Lindsay is a guy that moved into the starting rotation last year. We know about Chase Burns and, and Doe Lander and Beam, and um, there's just they started, a whole lot they of options. started Ben Joyce for a game, you know, in their yeah. SEC play in 22. So it, it was almost like the last couple of years, you're, you're really forcing the hand to try to get these guys some runs, and and you're you're trying to you know throw an inning every every midweek start and you might not be in that situation this year but uh, again that's that's the biggest question entering the year and it's it's nothing abnormal uh, you know, most teams around the country are going into the season with these questions as well let's get to that lineup man Billy Amick I feel like it's going to be a stud Cannon Peebles um, his bat is going to be really good I'm intrigued to see how how he continues to progress at catcher you know if he's going to be the you know, the, the guy that gets the bulk of the innings behind the plate, especially early on, but you know that bat's going to be in the lineup somewhere. Um, you know about CMO, Christian Moore, Blake Burke, are we going to see him kind of be more like his freshman self, Hunter Inslee in the outfit? I mean, list goes on and on, and I didn't even mention a lot of these guys. I still love this lineup, still love what they can throw out there defensively, and, and it's going to not not an easy out in the lineup, really. No, and it should be really vastly improved from last year where there just wasn't a ton of – high-end options and Tennessee really had to lean on that pitching to get them to Omaha and you know that even when they Tennessee got to Omaha it didn't feel like there was much path to a deep run because the offense wasn't mm -hmm. good enough I think that changes this year and again it's there's still a lot of storylines with it because of where does everybody fit and even though there's so much to like what they returned three starters I guess four uh, Cal Stark being uh, the fourth mm -hmm. behind the plate but we obviously know Cannon Peebles is going to be the starting uh, catcher and uh, we'll see what happens with Zane didn't too I guess that would be another returning starter as well but no clear shortstops on the roster does it end up being one of the the newcomers one of the juco one of the freshman guys or did they slide christian moore over there uh, and how does that work out with second base and, and it's a lot of and even in the outfield with dylan dryling and kabar steers those are two guys i'd be shocked if they're not in the lineup you know opening day but how does that all fit together how it's again kind of like i was talking about with the pitching it, it's a little bit of a puzzle of finding out where your best options are, what makes your best lineup, and how does that all fit together defensively. So it's a, I think we have a, a really good idea of maybe 11 guys, 11, 12 guys going into the season of these are going to be your guys. And, you know, probably seven of them you know for sure, or six or seven of them you know for sure. But how do those other spots work out? There's a lot of versatility with guys that can play 
corner infield, corner outfield. Uh, obviously, we just talked about Christian Moore, whether he ends up at shortstop and the middle infield stuff, I think, can be tinkered with a lot. It's going to make really this whole first month of the season for SEC play really fascinating um, just because every day I think you can see while maybe a lot of the same guys are in the starting lineup, they're at different spots in the field mm -hmm. in Tennessee trying to figure out a lot of things. And, you know, Reese Chapman's a guy you didn't even mention the app, yep. though. He's he's going to be in there trying to, you know, get as much playing time. You've got Dalton Bargo, who I think is going to be just such a secret weapon for this team. He said corner infield, corner outfield, behind the plate. Yep. He can do it all. And he hit, help me, two, two, 280 last year. Yeah, I think two, a, 275 something. I wrote about it earlier today. Uh, 275, five homers, something like that, and, and kind of an off and on starting role at DH as a true freshman. Yeah. So obviously a lot of growth. And that was one of the things Tennessee was highest on when they got him, of just how high his ceiling was and how much more they thought he could improve. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tennessee's got options galore. And, and again, you know, by the time this airs, I'm hoping that there's going to be some finality to the Zane Denton situation. Um, if he's back with the team, I mean, I don't think he's your, your everyday third baseman. I think it's more utility, and I think it's more tr tr vying for DH spots. But still, you know, a guy who had 59 RBI, you'd love to have that guy back, back in the yeah. fold. So, you know, we'll see what happens, man. I mean, they're deep. They're deep in spots for sure. Certainly, and I think Denton, Bargo, and Chapman are probably kind of the three X factors that change how things kind of find itself because of where the DH is going to come from, where mm -hmm. if Chapman sit, you know, I, you feel really confident you're going to have Vinsley and you're going to have Dryling starting, you know, two spots in the outfield. And I'd be real surprised if Kavar's tears isn't in the lineup, but, you know, Reese Chapman could, or Bargo could force your hand being so good of, you know, pushing uh, tears to that DH spot. And then certainly Zane didn't kind of gives you a log jam of some degrees at, at the corner infield spots, but that's a good problem to have. And, uh, certainly a, a lot of different options and especially like you said corner corner infield corner outfield it feels like it could go a million different directions um, but a lot of a lot of different talented guys that uh, have really high ceilings then you have a guy that hit 28 home runs in junior college last year and robin villanueva just sitting there ready to play first base if blake burke yep. forgets how to hit a curveball you know so it's like again you're you're, you're super stacked all right man that's uh Busy, busy time. Basketball season ongoing. Football season's always a conversation over there at Rocket Top Insider year-round, just like it is with us at VolQuest. Uh, and then we got baseball coming up. What have, uh, what do you guys got coming up the, the rest of January on into February? Yeah, a lot of stuff kind of putting a final bow and probably by the time this is airing, Tennessee's off-season football roster movement. And uh, as Tennessee starts to get into spring semester starting, obviously very late for Tennessee, and uh, they start to get into – to workouts in the winter, we'll have a lot of stuff putting a final bow, analyzing a lot of stuff, what to like, what kind of areas of concern still. And then Tennessee basketball season will be chugging away and baseball just gets closer and closer and closer. So we'll start to have uh, full season previews and stuff like that on the site. And then Jack Foster and I will be back with uh, our Tennessee baseball podcast uh, to get things going as well. So plenty of stuff. It's one of the uh, more exciting times of the year, which is not something you typically think about when you're thinking on the global picture of late January, <laughs> early February being super exciting, but then it's a new age of college football. It's a different beast uh, of the calendar of how that works. Um, and then certainly baseball and basketball is real fun in these parts is Rick Barnes and Tony Vitello have their respective programs humming along at a, a high level. His grandfather was an absolute legend at central high school, <laughs> Ryan Shumpert. He's a good writer of words. Give him a follow on Twitter at R shump double zero on the x ron appreciate it man thanks so much yeah thanks for having me on enjoyed it as always 
All right, that's going to do it here for this edition of Locked On Balls. Thanks so much for being here. We'll come back with the Monday show, and then I'll be back in, in real time and uh, can talk about real updated things Tuesday on. But uh, hope you guys enjoyed all the guests this week. Hope you guys uh, had a really, really good week and can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. Fun times happening right now. Tennessee football, roster management, Tennessee basketball, and, of course, Tennessee baseball is right around the corner. We'll talk about it all right here every day on Locked On Balls.